Acts 20, 17-38, hear the word of the Lord. Now, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. After we first started this church, I would meet people, people with some sort of an interest in a Christian church, and i tell them that we have this new church. And then often they would ask me questions that started with these words, do you have, do you have, and then they would fill in whatever they thought the church should have or at least the church that they wanted to go. Do you have a Saturday evening service? Because I just I just can't get up early enough on Sunday morning. Or do you have a, a children's program that does this or that? And I often get phone calls. Do you have a food pantry? Or do you have a, a roof that needs fixed? Or do you have a, a building that we could use for a church? Do you have, do you have, do you have? And I would I would respond to these questions by saying, You know, we really don't have very much, but we have a mission. 
We have a mission to reach new people with the gospel. And if you are interested in that mission, then we are a church that has what you need. Now, how things have changed. How things have changed. Now when I talk to people about our church, they say, do you have a Sunday morning worship service? And I say, actually, indeed we do. And here are the the requirements to participate in the Sunday worship service. We're trying to obey the, the various guidelines that the authorities have given us. But yes, we have a Sunday morning worship service. And now all of a sudden, the little bit that we had before is all of a sudden something unusual and large and attractive. It's amazing how a pandemic can focus our attention on what is necessary and what is Essential. There's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about what are essential businesses, and I'm not going to get into that. That's not my job. Uh, my job is to talk about, from the Scripture, what is essential for the church. And we're not going to talk about all that's essential, but what we find here is a speech on the part of Paul that focuses us on what is important, what is essential for the life and the ministry of the church. Now, up to this point... We have looked at events. We looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit, for example. Or we looked at the preaching of the gospel to Cornelius. Uh, Or we looked at the the church in Antioch sending out missionaries to, to other cities. We looked at happenings, events. And here we're looking at words. We're looking at a speech. But we ought not to think that this is less than the events. Because what we find here is really a turning point. And that's what we've looked for all through this Acts of the Apostles. We've looked for turning points when something momentous is taking place. And something momentous is taking place. Because Paul realizes that his time is short. And he realizes that he is not going to be around for much longer. And neither are the other apostles going to be around for much longer. So there is going to be a changing of the guard. There is going to be a passing of the baton. And Paul, in this speech, is preparing this local church, and by extension, because Luke has recorded it for us here, he's preparing the church for this time when they will no longer have these foundational ministers, these apostles. And in this speech that Paul gives to the elders of the church in Ephesus, he focuses them and us on what is important, on what is necessary, on what is essential for us to fulfill the ministry that God has given to us. Now, before we examine the speech, just a a parenthetical statement here about these elders, these presbyters, because we find... Back in chapter 14, verse 23, when Paul and Barnabas went out and they established churches in the the first mission fields to which they went, they went back through those churches and they appointed elders in every church. And whenever we find churches in the New Testament, we find elders, and it's always in plural, not just an elder, but elders, And uh, that is the, the idea that there would be multiple elders in the church. And usually those elders come from the church itself. Sometimes they come from elsewhere like Barnabas did or like Paul himself did. But usually those elders are raised up from the church itself. 
Now, these elders, you'll find that a couple different words are used. Because all of a sudden, Paul says that God made them, in verse 28, God made them overseers. Overseers. And that's the word that is translated in English, bishop. Bishop. Now, what we find is that these are two words describing the same the same office. The elder is the same thing as the bishop. And in that same verse, verse 28, it says to care for the church, but that is the verb to pastor, to shepherd. And so here we find these three words describing the same people. Who are those who pastor the church? Well, they are the elders. They are the bishops. It's all the same group. Now, you will perhaps be aware that there are ecclesiastical offices that some churches have, and those are all inventions after the time of the New Testament. You will find uh, things like priests and bishops who are over uh, over the elders. Uh, we call those monarchical bishops because they exercise kind of kingly authority. Uh, you will find archbishops, cardinals, patriarchs, popes. These are all later inventions by the church. The original situation was very simple. There were elders and there were also deacons. And those are the two offices. We also find described, or at least named, some activities like evangelist, like prophet, uh, like teacher, uh, in which those elders were engaged. Now, that is to say to whom this is directed and the basic structure of the church, which is a very simple structure. Now, this speech, as we get into this speech, we can see kind of two sections of this speech. The first section from verses 17 to 27, Paul's talking about himself and he's talking about his past, his present and his future. Now, Paul's past, present and future are all past to us. But when we put him in his situation, some of the things he described were past to him, present when he was giving the speech, and then future to him. And then he talks about the church, and he talks about the future of the church in verses 28 to 38. So that's how we're going to be looking at this speech. First, he talks about his past, verses 18 to 21. And here he didn't go to Ephesus. He had lived in Ephesus for some three years, and so he knew these elders very well, but he was going by in passing, and he was in the neighboring city of Miletus, called for the elders, they came to him, and he gave them this farewell, this pass the baton speech. They came to him, verse 18. And then in verse 18, he began to talk about his past. You know, and what does he say? You know how I lived among you. And he went on to describe... As, as an example, not as a boast, but as an example, that he lived as a true Christian minister. That's how he conducted his life and his affairs. You know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Asia was a, a western province of Asia Minor. And then he says how he lived. And look at this, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all Humility. There's the first characteristic of a true Christian minister. A true Christian minister serves the Lord with all humility, not exalting himself, but exalting the Lord. And then he says, and with tears. And we can, we can gather from that that a true Christian minister serves the Lord with compassion for others with tears, with heartbreak, entering into their lives in love and compassion. 
And he also served the Lord with perseverance, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So perseverance even through suffering. And then he said what he did. Those characterize his ministry, but then he says what he did in his ministry. He declared... He declared, that was his basic work, to declare. Verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and house to house. So what did he do? He taught everything that was profitable to his hearers. He didn't hold anything back that might have been profitable from the Word of God to them. And he did it wherever he could. Any sort of venue he could he could get an audience, he would do it there. If it was public, he was ready. If it was in, in a house with a smaller group, he was ready to do that as well. And what did he preach? Verse 21. We have a number of summaries, but the first summary of his message is in verse 21. Testifying to both Jews and Greeks. So by the way, he not only preached all that was profitable to anyone who would listen in any sort of venue, but he preached to different kinds of people as well. He preached to Greeks, he preached to Jews. And he preached this, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is repentance? It is turning from sin to God. And what is faith but reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in living, in dying, in rising again for sinners. And he goes on then to talk about what he was doing at the present time. So he reviews his ministry in the past. And he says, you all know this because you saw me doing this for some three years. I'm just reminding you of this. Then he talks about his present. And what was his present situation? Verses 22 to 24. He was heading into more suffering. And he knew it. He knew it. Verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, there are two ways to read that. That is, testifies to me in every city, or he testifies to me that imprisonment and afflictions await me in every city. And I probably both of those were true. But I think he probably means, as it's translated here, that the Holy Spirit testified to him wherever he went that he was going toward Jerusalem and that what awaited him in Jerusalem was imprisonment and affliction. Now, notice these two verses. He says that the Holy Spirit is saying, you're going to Jerusalem and imprisonment and afflictions await you there. And then in verse 22, he says what? I am going to Jerusalem constrained by whom? Constrained by the Holy Spirit. It's remarkable that he's saying, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit, even though the Holy Spirit is telling me what awaits me there. And what awaits me there is imprisonment and afflictions. But I, but I am constrained to go nonetheless. So the Spirit warned him, but the Spirit also constrained him to go to Jerusalem. Now, how was he able to walk into that situation? And by the way, as we saw, Paul and others fled from persecution at different times. And Jesus told them that they could and should do that. And we heard that in in a previous sermon. But here, knowing what awaited him, constrained to go by the Holy Spirit, how was he able to go into that with such tranquility? 
And here we find that Paul was guided not by self-preservation. Not by self-preservation. And by the way, self-preservation is something that we all seem to have hardwired into us. And, and that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. We are to preserve life, our own and other people's lives. That's a, a normal thing. We tend to preserve ourselves. But that was not what was the, the overwhelming motivation of Paul to preserve himself. His overwhelming goal was to finish the course of his ministry that God had given him. This is a remarkable verse. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He had a single-minded purpose, and it was to do what the Lord had called him to do. It was to fulfill the trust that God had given to him. And what was that trust? It was to proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. If only he could do that, then Paul would be satisfied with his life. We could ask ourselves, what would make life for me fulfilled? What would make life for me worth living? How could I say that, that, that I have a good life? What, what would that good life look like for us? And here, Paul holds up this single-minded purpose. Paul was content. Paul was happy. Paul was fulfilled. Paul was realized. If he could do just one thing, and that one thing was to do the one thing that God had given to him, to preach the gospel of the grace of God. That was his message. Good news. Good news about the grace of God. Now, that was his present. His past, his present, and now we get into his future. Verses 25 to 27. Now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And then he goes on to to talk to them, but he's saying, I will not see you again. I will not see you again. That's his future. He would not see them again as far as he knew. And if you look at the tone of these lines, and then if you look at verses 33 to 35, 33 to 35, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This sounds like a farewell speech. And it sounds very similar to a speech that we find in the New Testament. I'm not going to read it, but in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 2 to 5. It's Samuel's farewell speech. And Samuel had a single-minded devotion to the Lord as well. And as as he was about to pass off the scene, he says, Testify against me. Testify against me. Whose possessions have I coveted? Whose things have I wanted? Of whom have I taken advantage? And the people said, No one, no one. And Paul is doing the same sort of thing here. He says, You're not going to see me again. Testify against me if there's anything that I've coveted. And he says, I haven't. I haven't been in this for the money. I haven't been in this for my own aggrandizement or my own enrichment. And he's giving this farewell speech. 
And he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, I am innocent. I am innocent of the blood of everyone. And what's he saying here? What's he mean by this? Well, there is a section in Ezekiel where Ezekiel is told to go warn the people. And if he warns the people and they don't listen to him, the blood is on their own heads. Their their condemnation, their destruction is is their responsibility. But, But the watchman, if the watchman does not call out, does not warn, about the coming destruction and the possibility of salvation, then, then the watchman who has not warned, who has not fulfilled his duty, is also responsible for the destruction of those who are condemned. And Paul is saying, I, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the blood of all because I did not shrink from declaring the whole gospel of God, the whole counsel of God. He says, everything that I was giving to declare to you, whether it was pleasant, whether it was difficult, whether it was complicated, whether it was simple, whatever it might be, that I declared to you. And so, you cannot blame me for anything because I've given you all that was given to me. Now, it's interesting here that he summarized his message in a number of different ways. If you look at verse 21, he said that he preached repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Then if you look at verse 24, he says he preached the gospel of the grace of God. And then if you look at verse 25, he said that he preached the kingdom of God. And then in verse 27, he says he preached the whole counsel of God. And these are, these are basically the same things, but, but different ways, different aspects of, of the message that he preached. And we could put them together this way. The gospel is that Christ died and rose for sinners. That's the gospel of the grace of God. That's the message that he preached. And those who who enter into that, who receive that message, they do so by repentance and faith in Jesus. So the gospel message, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus is coming again. Our response to that message must be repentance and faith in Jesus. And if we repent and have faith in Jesus, then we enter into what? We enter into the kingdom of God. His, his saving rule over His people and eventually over the entire universe summed up in Christ. And then what? We dedicate ourselves to knowing, to believing, and to living the whole counsel of God. So these, are, these all fit together. They're all aspects of, of the preaching that Paul did, and really Christian preaching uh, from any, anyone who is preaching from God's Word. Now, that's Paul. But then in verse 28, he turns, and he, he begins to talk about the church. Verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. To what? Two things. To the elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, to yourselves, and to all the flock. Those are the two things that the elder, the bishop, the pastor needs to do. To pay attention to his own life and to pay attention to the life of the church. And these things stand or fall together. Uh, And the first one goes first. If the elder does not pay attention to his own life, he will not be able to pay attention to the life of the church. If he does not take care of his own life, then he will be unfit to take care of the life of the church. 
the elders' work is to oversee, to care for, to pastor, to shepherd the church. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, bishops, to care for the church of God, to shepherd the church of God, to pastor the church of God. And then he describes the church of God in an interesting way. He says, which he has obtained with his own blood. Now, this is such an unusual expression, obtained with his own blood. We normally don't talk about the blood of God. And obviously, he's thinking of Jesus. But I'm, I'm thinking that probably an alternate translation makes more sense here, which does not weaken it in the least, but makes it clearer. This could easily be translated, and you may have a footnote like I do, that says, the blood of his own. That he, he, he obtained his church by what? By the blood of his own. And who is his own? Obvious. His own is Jesus. And this, this is what, this is what elders always need to understand, but not only elders. This is what all of us need to understand and need to remember. At what price? At what price was, was the church purchased for God? It was the price of the blood of his own. And, and, and so, those who are shepherds in the church, those who are pastors in the church, need to remember the, the preciousness of the church because of the great value that was the, the cost of the purchase of the church. But that's not only for elders. We all need to remember. If, if we are those who have, have turned from sin to God in repentance and believed in Jesus and entered into the kingdom, then, then we need to remember constantly with joy and thanksgiving, with gratitude, with with happiness in our hearts, and with love for God, the great price at which we were obtained by the blood of His own to belong to Him. Now, the elders would need to take care of themselves and take care of the church because of two threats. Two threats that Paul knew would arise. And all you have to do is read church history, and all you have to do is not read just church history, but read about what's going on today in the church, and you will find these two threats. What are these two threats? There are threats from without, and there are threats from within. The threat from without is persecution. Verse 29. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So these are people who are coming in from the outside with no concern, no pity on the flock. They will not spare the flock. They will be like wolves. They will try to decimate the flock. That's one, that's one threat to the church. And the other threat, and I don't know which is more damaging, frankly, but the other threat is... False teaching from within, verse 30. And from among your own selves. And here he was talking to these devoted elders, and he says, Among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Some will decide that that this 
this this church leadership thing is is a good gig to be able to get some followers to come after themselves. But instead of preaching the whole counsel of God, some of which is difficult to take, they will they will twist it, they will turn it, they will modify it, they will they will make it easier. They will make it more attractive. They will make it wonderful for itching ears. And they will be able to get a following after themselves. And he says, these will come. And they will twist things. And they will take the church astray and lead people after themselves. And my friends, these two things happen constantly. They're happening now. If you want to know about persecution of the church, go to the website Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, and you will find out what's happening to our our brothers and sisters around the globe today. And then you will probably be not so quick to talk about persecution of Christians in the United States once you read about what our brothers and sisters are experiencing. But not only that, even more tragic perhaps, because it comes from ourselves, it comes from within, twisted teaching. People who are twisting, twisting biblical ethics. People who are twisting biblical theology to, to change it according to the, the whims of the time and the passing fashions of the time in order to, to gain more followers, which they can do for a time. But then those, those groups inevitably decline, decline and decay because they no longer have good news to preach. They are no longer preaching the only good news that can save us from our sins. So he says, beware. In order to beware, in order to take care of yourselves, in order to guard against these, he says you need to do these things. These things. And there's seven quick things. He says in verses 31 to 35. What do elders need to do? The first thing is to be alert. Be on your guard. That's the first thing. Be alert. The second thing is... To be ceaseless, ceaseless in your diligence, ceaseless in your work, remembering that for three years, Paul, he says, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So elders need to be alert and they need to be ceaseless and vigilant in their work. They need to instruct with compassion. That's what Paul did. He admonished everyone with what? With harshness? No. He admonished everyone with tears. And so elders should be tender and elders should be loving and compassionate with the flock and with those whom they admonish. And elders need also, as Paul says here, most of all, to depend upon God. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace to depend upon God and to depend upon Scripture, because here is where we have the word of his grace when elders cease to depend upon God and begin to depend upon themselves, bad things happen. When elders cease to depend upon the word of His grace and begin to depend upon their own word or others' words, bad things happen. We need to depend upon God, the word of His grace, and we need to avoid greed. Greed, verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard, we must help 
the weak and remembering the words of the Lord Jesus who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The elder needs not to be greedy, but rather to do whatever it takes to be generous. Sometimes Paul received missionary support from other churches. Sometimes Paul worked with his own hands, but he did whatever it took so that he would not be taking from others, but rather be a channel of blessing to others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the office of the elder, in a nutshell. That's the passing of the baton. That's the structure of the church. And with a minimum structure, with a minimum structure, the church has everything it needs to carry on the ministry that God has given to us. Now, so far in our church, we don't even have any members yet. The pandemic has gotten in the way of us having our reception of even our first members. Uh, No members yet, let alone elders. But we do have one elder that's appointed to this work. I'm the elder that's appointed to to get this church going, to start this church. And so the first appeal, the first appeal based on this text comes from me. And that is an appeal for prayer. For me now, but for whatever elders the Lord might place over us in the future, would you pray for me that I would be like the man, the men described here by Paul. And by the way, that's what you always can do. If, if for some reason, at some point, you're, you're in a church, this church or another church, and you say, I wish we had a better pastor. This is the first thing you can do to get a better pastor, is to pray for the one you have Lay out Acts chapter 20 before you and pray for that list of things that's described here. That's the best way to get a better pastor. That's the best way to get better elders, to pray for the ones you have. But after a while, as the Lord blesses this church, the next things we'll need to do after getting our members finally to be able to be joined together, we're waiting for to be able to meet together as an entire church to do that. The next thing we'll need to do is to develop, to identify, to appoint other elders in this church and ones that have these characteristics. By the way, um, sometimes churches don't look for this kind of man. Sometimes churches look for board of the director types. And some board of director types may be men with these sort of characteristics, but these are the characteristics we need more than any other thing. These are the kind of men we need to identify and train and develop. And with a few such elders in the future, in the future, when people say, do you have this in your church? Or do you have that in your church? We can say with confidence, we have absolutely everything necessary to fulfill the ministry that God has given to us. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that Your church is really quite simple in its organization. Christ is the head of the church, and we are the members of the body. And in that body, You've given gifts and You've given a couple of offices. Those who serve and those who lead those who minister to needs and those who 
preach the gospel and teach. And we thank you for deacons. We thank you for elders. We thank you that that's really all we need, Lord. And we pray that you would raise up in our church men of this caliber, men who would be characterized by the things we've seen here today, and that you would spare us, O oh God, not only from persecution, but you would spare us from from men of, of twisted teaching, from rising up in our midst and, and taking people astray. And we pray, O oh God, that with what you've given us, that we would be able to do what Paul did and have that single-minded devotion as Christians, that single-minded devotion as a church, that we will be content as Christians and as a church if we do one thing, and that is if we fulfill the task that you have given to us to preach the gospel of your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.